Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. So Cheryl, here we are in the month of February. And where you and I live, different parts of the country, but we are both still very much in winter. Mm. Even though we're past the halfway mark and spring is around the corner, but it's still cold. It's still pretty dark. And even though I'm still enjoying winter, I know that a lot of people are wishing that they were somewhere else right now, somewhere Hmm. warmer. And next week, it will be Valentine's Day. So we will be saturated with red and pink hearts and romantic stories and images of people being swept off their feet to go live happily ever after. So Yay! <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so it feels like a fitting time to talk about escape hatches and escape fantasies. Yeah. yeah. Those who follow your work tend to, yes, experience a lot of anxiety, but also to be very sensitive and creative and imaginative people. Mm. And so – With that type of brain, I think escape hatch fantasies can be really enticing and really scary Mm. and kind of sticky. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we can start with you naming some of the common escape hatch fantasies that you hear about a lot in your work. Yes. And that was so beautifully framed Victoria for us. Thank you for naming this month of February, this very liminal month for a lot of people, myself included, as I have talked about, noticing that when we are in a place of um, more hard, harder place inside of ourselves, perhaps a less alive place inside of ourselves, that that's often when escape hatch fantasies start to brew and boil inside in in the depths of our unconscious. And as I've mentioned, this is the month where I have historically found myself scrolling through Zillow, looking at real estate in Los Angeles, where it's, I'm sure, 70 degrees and sunny right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not there yet. I, like you, I'm actually, I'm, I'm still okay with winter. I um I think I've enjoyed it more this year than other years, and I have a feeling that has to do with our podcast and just really shining a light on what's hard and also on the gold of this season and having a more direct relationship with both of those places, the hard place and and the light, that rich, radiant light that can come during this time. So it is a month ripe for escape hatch, the ones that I typically hear about, and it can be anything like scrolling Zillow, looking at real estate. But the ones that I typically hear about are, could I be happier with somebody else? Is my truth that I need to go live in the woods by myself? Is my truth that I'm a different sexual orientation? So we have relationship anxiety, we have sexual orientation anxiety, I should be living a bohemian, artsy, free life in New York City. And it always seems to be New York City. (laughs) Um, I should have fill in the blank. So this is like a regret fantasy. I should have done this or said this or or, um, gone to that college 
or chosen a different major, whatever that I should have done differently is. We shouldn't have moved if only I had. And again, most forms of regret would fill in that blank. I think that escape hatch fantasies are twofold. One is what we're trying to escape from. If I had chosen differently in the past, I wouldn't be feeling this pain, this ambiguity, this doubt, this uncertainty, this discomfort right now. If I had chosen a different partner in the past, I wouldn't be mired in doubt and this horrible spiral, the thought spirals that I get stuck in, that there's some other perfect life, partner, place, job, location, house that would lift me out of the pain, the messiness, the ambiguity of being human. So there's that aspect. And then I think the really interesting part of escape hatch fantasies, because it's not only what we're trying to escape from, it's also what we're longing to feel more of. So the longing for more aliveness, let's say I'm feeling bored in my relationship. We've just kind of hit a wall, you know, year entering year three of the pandemic, whatever it is. And it's not that beginning aliveness, that excitement. And a lot of people don't have that in the beginning, but if you did, um, you might be longing for that feeling. And so the longing for more aliveness, more creativity, a sense of freedom, a sense of wildness. So these two fantasies that we've touched on and that have come out in the comments of escaping into the woods and being that you know single woman, older woman with the big dog, going for long hikes, searching for huckleberries or whatever – and mushrooms. Um, and then the one of escaping to the city and the artsy and the bohemian at the core, they have this lifestyle that is fundamentally about freedom, bucking the system, straying outside the line, saying no to the world of order and expectations and obligations and responsibilities. So I think these two fantasies in particular are very appealing for the, the highly sensitive person who has typically been a rule follower, right? Followed the expected paths and timelines, stayed within the lines. And these fantasies call to the part that doesn't always want to follow the rules. So the part that longs for freedom and wildness and deep joy. And what I want to say upfront when we're talking about any of these fantasies, however it shows up for you, is that the danger is in taking them at face value, is taking them literally to think, oh, because I keep thinking this, it must be my truth. It must mean that this is my deep down truth. I have to go do this, or I have to leave my partner and go look for someone who is more this or that, who will make me feel more alive. These are very dangerous traps to take the fantasies literally. They come from the same place as intrusive thoughts, dreams, symptoms, which is our unconscious. And the unconscious speaks in the language of metaphor. So it's so critical that we understand this. The unconscious does not speak literally. Our dreams are not literal. Our intrusive thoughts are not literal. 
our fantasies are not literal, right? So this requires a shift in how we think, right? We are a very literal face value culture. So it's difficult to make this shift. We are not reared and educated in the language of metaphor, especially when we are viewing our own psychology. Maybe you had an English class where you talked about metaphor, but other than that, it's not a language that is part of the mainstream lexicon. But when you can shift into that mindset and view these fantasies through the lens of metaphor, everything changes, the charge is dropped, then we step into this world of curiosity, right? And there's a deep calm and a reassurance that says, okay, phew, I don't have to blow up my entire life for the sake of this fantasy. This is not a deep down singular truth. These are kaleidoscopic metaphors, lenses through which we can start to become curious about what are they pointing to? What is needed? What is the gold embedded at the center? What am I longing to grow more of in my life? When I was preparing for this episode, I looked up the root of the word escape, like the etymology of Mm -hmm. escape. And I love the imagery that I stumbled upon Mm. on the Merriam-Webster website Mm -hmm. (laughs) where it says – If you were being held captive by someone gripping the coat or cloak you were wearing, you might be able to get away by slipping out of it. This is the idea on which the word escape is based. It's made up of the Latin prefix ex, which means out of, and the Hmm. Latin word kappa, which means head covering or cloak. (laughs) I love that image because… Such a great poetic image from Merriam-Webster. Right? I know. (laughs) I know. I I love it. That image of what's gripping you, so Mm. some of the things you named, maybe you're gripped by boredom or fear or restlessness or anxiety or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and you want to slip out of it and essentially disappear. Because I think the thing about escape fantasies is that they are black and white. It's Mm -hmm. always like, if I do this one thing, I will yes. fix my whole life and everything will be perfect and I'll never feel X and I'll always feel Y. Yes. And that's how you know that it's an escape fantasy because there will never be a perfect life. That is it, Victoria. And it 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 points to another element of escape fantasies, which require when we really when we really look at them and we accept oh we're trying to create this perfect life unblemished right um devoid of pain and messiness and ambiguity and doubt and all of these uncomfortable places that especially highly sensitive people struggle with on a daily basis we're trying to slip out of that cloak we're trying to it's so interesting that the word it comes from the root X, because mm-hmm. the X is actually another escape hatch fantasy, is <laughs> perseverating on the X, the X that shows up in dreams. And the way that I always talk about that is as the metaphor of 
what did the X represent? So often the X represents a stage of life. So often it's college or high school, some stage of life where there was less responsibility, more freedom, more joy, more letting go. Sometimes I'd say maybe often that includes alcohol. And so there is that element of alcohol that does allow us to escape to experience less inhibition, more wildness, more of that ecstatic place. So both, again, both moving out of, lift me out of my pain and move me toward spirit, toward that ecstatic realm. And fantasies, dreams of the ex are often bound up in that stage of life, not always, but often, which points to this place of what it is to be an adult, how quite often escape fantasies show up at these threshold times, these transition times, um, mid-20s to 30, where, where we are grappling with the weight of responsibility of adulthood, the really tangible thud of, oh my goodness, this is what being an adult, I have to figure out money and insurance and a car and a job and all of these pretty heavy weighty things that are very different from earlier life, childhood, adolescence, even early adulthood, whether you went to college or not, that that those stages of life, though highly imperfect, still carry that quality of freedom from a certain kind of responsibility. So they're not Householder years. It's a different stage of life. And then escape fantasy also shows up again in midlife. And so then we have that stereotype, but it is also an archetype of midlife crisis. We have the stereotype of the middle aged guy who wants to leave his marriage and have an affair with somebody 25 years younger and get a sports car. Well, what is that? What is the urge? What is the impulse? What is the longing embedded there? And so it's two different things, right? We're talking about um, quarter life and midlife, two very, very different life stages, but stages that bring a certain heaviness, um, a certain weightiness. And like we talked about so many episodes ago when we were talking about the name of this podcast, Gathering Gold, that embedded in that weightiness, in that lead, is our gold when we approach these, these manifestations of the unconscious consciously, right? In, in, in a way that allows us to simmer down the lead and gather the gold. And so in the earlier stage of life, since the vast majority of our audience is in the earlier stage of life, we have to sacrifice something in order to step into the next stage of adulthood. We have to sacrifice that abandon, that, that sense of freedom. And yet, and yet it's not a complete sacrifice because what we're doing with the fantasy is asking, how can I bring in that energy in a way that still honors my life? It doesn't explode and blow up my entire life. How do I grieve the end of childhood, toss what needs to be tossed into that sacrificial fire, right? We don't, we don't, we don't speak in this language anymore. So you might not even know what I'm talking about when I say sacrificial fire, but we will try to unpack that and break it down. And look at the fantasy that's coming up for me. 
there is gold in it as long as you don't take it at face value. Mm, There's so much good stuff in that. I think what you were saying, something that I really connect with is that part of the magic of Mm. youth is just in the sheer possibility of everything that you don't know. And that's also where anxiety comes from. And often we're kind of teetering between the two, but there's a certain magic in the possibility, in the not knowing and the mystery and what's going to happen and what might be around the corner. And I think that that's part of the escape hatch is that, oh, what else might be possible? And I think at its best, it's our really creative, imaginative brains wanting to to see and add like color and texture and mm-hmm. beauty and wonder to our everyday lives. Yes. But like you said, there's this other side to it as well that can actually turn more destructive and that can also just really distress us. I think when it shakes our sense of identity and who we are to have certain thoughts or have certain fantasies, yes, it can really shake us. And for me also, when you talk about kind of assuming more responsibility as we mm-hmm. grow up, responsibilities that are somehow both difficult and boring at the same time, which is just <laughs> what a combo. <laughs> Um, and th- talking about kind of throwing on this on the sacrificial fire, you know what what was. Mm-hmm. I feel this resistance to letting go of a certain identity of a younger self because I think I see largely because of being so anxious from literally the time I was four years old, mm-hmm. I often just think, no, I didn't I didn't do my childhood or my teenage years or my 20s right. I didn't do them enough. I can't let go of and grieve and burn what I didn't ever really have. And that becomes like a point of resistance and a sticking point for me. And I yes. wonder if it is for others as well. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And I think this, this – concept of responsibility, both in the external world of what it is to be an adult and have a job and money and bills and all of that. And then also, I think the more important piece is personal responsibility and recognizing that on some level, every time we fly into escape fantasies, we are trying to escape from taking responsibility for for the pain of the moment, the big pain or the momentary pain. And so the resistance makes perfect sense to me. It's coming out for you as, oh, I didn't do that stage right or enough. And that's that sort of overactive, anxious brain that thinks that there is a right or enough. Um, So I can't say goodbye to it, but I think a lot of that is also protective mechanisms to protect from the grief that childhood is over. And also, like, how can I give up the rebellious teenage years if I never really did that? So there's the gold in 
the resistance and the fantasy? How can I bring that rebellious, wild energy into my life now in a way that still honors my life in a responsible way, right? So it's not either or, and that's where we get into so much trouble with the anxious brain is that it's very black and white and it's thinking, right? And it's, it's, it's not, oh, I have to give all of that up or that's not fair. I never fully lived out my teenage life because I was mired in anxiety and trying to do the right thing and be the good girl and all of that. If the escape fantasy is here and we turn to look at it, we can, we can peer into it. We can open it up, right? Like peering into like the hole of a tree or peering into a cave with wide eyes, with childlike wonder, with, oh, what is here for me? Both what am I trying to escape from, but also what am I longing to grow and integrate? Right? And the question we can ask is, so, so then where do we find that wild freedom in each stage? How do we find that on a day-to-day basis, how do we how do we ignite that fire of aliveness that most people are longing for? How do we live a responsible life, both externally and internally? Right? How do we own the emotions that come up? For so many people, escape hatch comes up in relationships, especially when there's when there's a hard moment, when there's a disconnect, when you're when you've just had an argument. Oh my God, I, I married the wrong person. I should have married so-and-so. And it might not even be anyone in particular. I should have married someone who's more this or that or less this or that. What is that? That's just us trying to escape from the utter pain of being disconnected from your partner, right? The horrible agony, the anguish that happens when you've had an argument. So watching when when do my becoming curious starting to track when do my escape fantasies show up right as well as charting what are my most common escape fantasies when do they show up and then exactly like we would work with intrusive thoughts that i teach all the time what is this thought what is this fantasy protecting me from feeling and what is the need or the longing that it's pointing to Yeah, I think it takes so much trust. And I will say that similar to the last episode about dropping into your body, you know, I said like I have to go so slowly and gently with this. And for me, this is just for me, but it really helps to think about the smallest little actions that I can take instead of like sometimes even trying to like journal or dialogue like I get so wrapped up in the words and it just Mm -hmm. kind of I start to spiral more (laughs) yes so common but when I think about the smallest little actions that I can Mm. take to tap into what it is that I'm longing for it's really amazing what can shift because again, like with the black and white thinking, I feel like we tend to think, oh, if I'm if I'm having that fantasy of 
I'm the woman in the city who is really connected to her intellect and art and culture mm. and socializing. Like, I guess I have to, you know, quit my job and sell my <laughs> my apartment and and you know and whatever. But for me, I've realized like, what if I picked up a book? A type of book that I haven't read in a really long time that's like that really – like I just picked up a book by Patti Smith called Devotion. And it's mm. it's a very kind of like intellectual artsy book, you know? Yes. And it's like, oh, yeah, there is a part of me that would have read this 10 years ago and and talked about it with my, my friend in our dorm room and really enjoyed mm. it. And mm. – um, or I actually watched the the Netflix show Emily in Paris in preparation for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I had never seen it before. I kept hearing about it. And I was like, oh, it's one of those classic escape hatch fantasy premises where this, this uh, 28-year-old woman uh, moves to Paris to work at a marketing agency from Chicago and, you know, has all these like romantic adventures and career – aspirations and adventures and and it's completely unrealistic and everyone is a model and you know all of that mm -hmm. and my takeaway was that last night I cooked myself some coca van which they eat in the show <laughs> and I baked myself some uh, chocolate almond cake that was like a French recipe Love and it. I was like yeah even just cooking Yes. Um, but taking that inspiration of like, oh, let's try a little French cooking in my apartment. Love it. You know, so that's just to say that one of my approaches has been these really small, tangible, concrete actions that help me connect with those parts. It's so good. And I would love for you to read the list that we went back and forth about this episode. Um your examples of you incorporating the woman in the woods um, fantasy and the recognition that sh that fantasy doesn't even have a pull for you anymore because you've integrated the gold of it. You've integrated enough of what that was pointing to. So those were such great lists, that one and the city woman fantasy. I'd love for you to read that first one. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the woman in the woods, um, the actions that kind of connect me with that longing and help me integrate it are, one, going into the woods for walks and hikes and sometimes camping. And I noted that this is a great reality check because I freak out when I <laughs> actually spend a night in the woods. Like there's no – I don't want to live alone in the woods. And that's a real – sometimes like – you know, taking those steps gives you a really good reality check. Um, yes. Connecting with the seasons. So doing season-specific activities and mm. slowing down to notice and appreciate the seasons and be with them. Mm -hmm. um, taking care of house plants inside. Mm. Cooking, crocheting, reading, taking care of my physical environment. So cleaning and tidying and lighting candles and choosing soft light bulbs, like everything that makes me feel like I'm in my little – my interiority is 
nourishing and cozy, but I'm also like taking care of things. I think responsibility, finding that right responsibility really does help me integrate those characters because to me there's the freedom and wildness of those characters but there's also like a responsibility of that woman can take care of herself yes when i read that list what stood out for me was how these were all it's an integration of of the feminine and that perhaps on one level that fantasy of living alone in the woods is a longing for a deeply feminine way of being with oneself, the longing to connect more with nature. And again, when I say feminine and masculine, they're not gendered. They are energy principles that everybody has. Um, The longing to drop into your body, to take a walk, be in your body, working with your hands, crocheting, cooking. So these feminine principles of slowing down, taking care of the physical realm, being internal. And this this is the Jungian way, right? This is how you take a fantasy and extract the metaphor, the imagery, the needs, the longing, and then ritualize, make it real, right? And ritual doesn't have to be this thing where you, you know, cast a circle and light a candle and call on the ancestors. It's, it's the things that you do every day intentionally like the book we love, right? The Power of Ritual. Um, so it's it's listening, whether you're listening to your dreams or your fantasies, again, coming from the same place, extracting what the messengers are, knowing that it's not one message. It's, you're not trying to get it right. You're just playing around. And what I love, Victoria, is these are such daily doable actions that when you started to incorporate them, the fantasy, the charge around it, quieted, simmered down. It doesn't have a pull on you anymore. But what also came to mind when I was listening to you read the list this time was I had an image of you dressed in these like wild, colorful scarves and, and skirts like, like the woman in the woods with like maybe a bandana around your head and... um and maybe like barefoot and playing music or something. And it brought to mind one of the comments, I think maybe it was an Instagram comment about how when we're kids, we play a lot of make-believe, right? And we um, pretend that we are princes and princesses and Mm. flying off into faraway lands and castles. And then somewhere along the way, we lose that. And what would it be like? Right. This is again the embodiment and the ritualizing and, and bringing to life um, the longing embedded in the fantasy. What would it be like to actually dress up, to actually embody, or to draw, or to make real in some way these characters that are showing up? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think we get so scared. Someone also commented on your blog you know, that she was really curious about creatively and imaginally tapping into these different parts, but was so scared. Like if I spend any time with that fantasy, I'm going to realize like, no, it's, that's it. I need to go move to the woods or Mm -hmm. I need to, you know, and we just, I think as kids, we're not so threatened by it. And for some, I think, I think maybe it is because our minds get more and more 
literal and yes. rational. And we get more and more in the thinking brain yes. and more and more attached to a certain identity. I am this way and I do this. Mm -hmm. And so much of my life is is on this foundation of certainty. Yes. And so it's just so – it can be so scary, I think, to tap into it and play with it. It can be so scary. And it's like when people are afraid of doing any inner work. I'm afraid if I turn inward. I'm afraid if I trust myself that I will discover this deep, dark truth and then I will have to make it real. And you know, the thing I can say to that is just to throw out a lifeline of reassurance that that's never what I see. What I see when people engage creatively or imaginally with these fantasies is I see this um, eruption, like this release of aliveness, that you are actually recapturing something of your soul, of your childlike nature. Um, you know, imagination is so rich and powerful. And when you are looking through the lens of this is imagination, this is fantasy, this is make-believe, this is play, right? Um, it's the opposite that happens, right? Like so many of our what-if fears and our intrusive thoughts, it's actually the exact opposite. And it's like what you, what you realized when you started to um, enact these small doable ways of being with the woman in the woods that the charge reduced. So it's a really normal fear. It's a really understandable fear, but it's a fear that comes again from that same part of the mind. It's coming from the rational linear mind. If I give it energy, I will want to do it. But that's not, that's not what actually happens because that's not where the fantasy is coming from. It's not coming from your mind. It's coming from your soul. It's coming from the unconscious. comes to kind of the other the character kind of on the other end of the pole the mm. the woman in the city some of the actions that help me tap into that character as she is in my mind which is also kind of black and white I feel like the characters we make up are kind of black and white like mm -hmm. there are so many different types of people who live in cities and they could be very traditional conservative people, you know, yes. <laughs> like that's uh, something that we don't always think about. But for me, um, taking in and making art. So, you know, maybe watching a really beautiful film or doing some painting. Um, mm. Like I said before, connecting with my intellect through mm. reading, taking a class, watching a documentary, listening to a podcast, learning about something new, learning about another culture, hmm. trying a new shop or a new restaurant, things with my appearance. So like painting my nails mm -hmm. or getting a haircut or mm -hmm. mixing up my wardrobe, yes. doing something different with my appearance or my style, connecting with friends. Because mm -hmm. I think even though people who live in cities – can be very isolated and lonely, I think, sometimes. There's a real like socialization element in the mm. city of being yes. connected to people. Um, and also I think, whereas with the woods, I definitely think about that 
nourishing rest and slowing down and like that there's like a medicinal element to the woods, right? Mm -hmm. Um, With the city, I think of like fast energy. So going for a run or doing something where, yeah, the energy is like really fast and high energy. Mm. Um, I remember I had a temporary job in a city uh, years ago, maybe seven years ago or something at this point. And I remember taking the train there and I was going through the subway And I felt really energized. Like I was listening to music in my headphones. I was wearing an outfit that I liked. I was rushing to the train. I got on and this woman was like, oh, I love your boots. And I was like, oh, thank you. I'm just a city woman with city boots. (laughs) And again, I was like, who's this woman? Like, who am Mm -hmm. I? Am I kind of enjoying this? Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't think I would enjoy being in a city at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And it didn't mean I had to move. I didn't extend my contract, you know, but I, I let myself enjoy that energy for a moment. Yes. I love that. And when I hear these actions and when I read them, what came to mind was the other side, the integration of the masculine, which is the energy of fast, the intellect, outward, expanding out of your bubble. Right. And so It seems to me, and this is a very Jungian concept and way of looking at wholeness and integration, that that from a Jungian mindset, our pathway to wholeness and our longing, so much of our longing is a longing for wholeness, and that the way there is through integrating the masculine and the feminine and how, how they want to play out in our lives, how we can tap into them access them, have a relationship with them. And so it's so interesting to me that these two primary fantasies that I hear about all the time in my work and that have come out in the last couple of weeks through our episode and the the blog, Instagram, are carrying these very different elements of the masculine and the feminine that are also longing for integration with each other, the meeting of each other. There's a great Robert Johnson quote from his book, Ecstasy, which I highly recommend. If you want to nurture the heroic side of yourself, you must nurse it with both your masculine and feminine natures. But I also think that what these two life stages that I've talked about Mid, mid to late 20s, right? quarter life and midlife. Midlife can start really at any time, but tends to start around 45. That there's a longing to grow oneself, to experience different aspects of ourselves, like you had that experience with the boots on the train of, oh, I didn't think I would like this. So again, it's how do we keep sort of playing play acting games, playing make-believe games into all of our years as we are, as a way to explore different new aspect of ourselves. Jung talked a lot about the inferior function, the, the play, our shadow, these places that maybe have always lived there all along, but we were taught to repress and push down while knowing that this doesn't mean 
that you have to leave your loving partner or your good job. It doesn't mean any of that. It's all taking place in the imaginal realm, in the, in the literal world, like going for walks and making art and listening to a new podcast. How do I, how do I connect with my intellect? Right? How do I access that place that I'm imagining I would be accessing if I was living alone, the bohemian single life in the city? Right? It doesn't require living in the city. Yeah, it makes me think. I was sitting on the on my couch the other night and I lifted my hand and on the wall across from me, I don't know what was casting this this light and this shadow, but I saw a huge shadow of my hand on the wall across mm. from me. Mm. <laughs> and I started making like a little bunny, you know, <laughs> hopping across the wall. <laughs> and I was just thinking, yeah, we the shadow looks huge and scary even. Mm. There's a giant bunny in my house, but mm. I look at my hand. It's just my little hand yeah. <laughs> making that shadow. And I yeah. think that's where our minds go sometimes. We blow it up. Like, yes. oh, if I have this part of me with this longing, that is terrifying and it means something terrifying. And I've definitely been finding that I don't know, these fears and these voices and these characters have gotten so much quieter with just these small, slow, gentle, mm. everyday, that attention, that slow, small, mm, gentle, so everyday good. attention. So just to calm, try to calm that a little bit because I can feel – like I can feel it <laughs> mm-hmm. in the air around this conversation for, for many of those who listen. Yes. And that place of I have to do something drastic, it is explosive and dramatic and very black and white. But again, and I want to underscore this piece, it's also a way to try to hijack responsibility. It's also Mm. the belief that if I was in the city, it would just all be happening for me. Mm. I would be feeling alive because there'd be that art opening down the street and my friends would be asking me all the time to have dinner and it would just happen for me. And if I was with some other partner who was maybe more social or whatever the longing is, then that would be happening for me. And so at the core, there is, I think, almost always an attempt to escape responsibility from owning and taking the actions that fill us up, that meet our own pain, that get us into the world if that's what we're longing for, that nobody's going to do it for you at this stage of your life. Right? Nobody is going to curate your perfect life for you. And there is no partner in the world and no city in the world and no job in the world that is going to do all of that for you. It all requires some effort. It requires that inner parent to step forward and to say, if I want more of this in my life, I am going to have to make that happen. And it can really happen no matter where I live and no matter who I'm with. As long as there's, obviously this is all in the context of being in a basically healthy, loving relationship, you know, basically being in a in a place where you're living that basically works for you. There's no perfect place, no perfect partner, no perfect job. 
Um, the other piece I just want to mention as we were talking about these fantasies that show up that we're talking about primarily for women because we're talking about them as like escaping into the woods as the wild woodsy woman or the city woman. But men obviously have escape hatch fantasies too. And the one that I hear about most often um, because of the theme of relationship anxiety that, that, that finds its way to me is the man who is struggling with relationship anxiety and who has the fantasy either of the ex or of some other perfect bombshell woman. And men, when they share this with me, they do so with a great deal of shame. Why am I so superficial? I shouldn't care. So they're often hooked up. Uh, the, the hook is the attraction hook for them. I'm not attracted enough or I'm not in love enough with my partner. And so they share this with me, like, you know, barely through whispers. But it's such an important fantasy. And of course, it's one that is completely encouraged by the culture. Like a lot of these fantasies are. They don't, they don't just come from ourselves. Um, but again, when we look at that through a Jungian lens, after we've done all the psychoeducation of there's no perfect partner and everyone ages anyway, and you know, no matter who you marry, they're going to end up with wrinkles and all of that. And it's about essence and it's about heart to heart connection. And yes, when you're seen through clear eyes, you find your partner to be totally beautiful and all of that. Then we go into what is this archetype of this woman, your ideal in quotation marks, like your, your perfect type as a representation of some side of you that you are longing to be in connection with. So in Jungian terms, it would be for a man, his anima. It's an anima figure. It's a soul figure. It's a feminine figure that often embodies the longing for a connection to his feminine side, his emotional, his emotionality, his, his softness, his vulnerability his relationships, his friendships. So the places in men that have been squashed from a very, very early age by the dominant culture you know, that men are suffering under just as much as women. And there is this invitation when they can stop taking it literally and do enough of the work around relationship anxiety that they can get back into clear seeing with their partner, that they can start to relate to this figure that shows up in dreams or fantasy as an invitation, as a message to connect to these places inside of his own self. Yeah, I think about even the way that we tend to in our culture, we're like so afraid of sex and yet we also over-sexualize everything Yes, at the same time. And so I think even some of these fears that come up around sexuality, sometimes it's like physical touch doesn't always have to be sexual. Mm -hmm. Intimacy and connection doesn't always have to be sexual. Like mm -hmm. 
our brains are so quick to just really go to extremes. But sometimes it's like maybe we're longing for physical touch in the midst of a pandemic or friendship yes. connection. And friendship connection can include hugging each other, you know? Yes. Um, I remember hearing Richard Rohr talk about his celibacy as a Catholic priest, and he said it's really rare that people actually can be a healthy celibate priest, obviously, mm. we found <laughs> out. Yes. But he said it includes like not being afraid of physical touch, but mm. actually understanding how deeply important it is to make eye contact with people, mm. to hug people and be mm. hugged, to be emotionally intimate with people. Yes. And I loved his description of what it meant to him to have a healthy sexuality even as a celibate priest. Yes. So beautiful. Was that too much of a tangent, Cheryl? <laughs> no. It it makes me think of all kinds of other things that probably <laughs> would be tangents. But, I mean, it makes – what it makes me think about is – Embedded in the longing or the fantasies that I keep, we keep talking about is, well, then how do we access? So, so you've been, you made the list of the small doable ways to access. And then in the book, Robert Johnson talks about the more general ways to connect with more joy, more freedom, more aliveness. If, if, if these are the qualities that you arrive at when you become curious about the fantasies. And he talks about active, active imagination, which is dialoguing with these characters. And he talks about dream work and he talks about ritual, which we are sorely lacking in our culture. We don't really even know how to do that. Um, I talk a lot about the sacrificial fire when I talk about ritual and I talk about that imaginally, but also sometimes literally what would it be like to actually make a fire and throw into it the things that that need to be sacrificed so again the dual the dual and it's it's more than two but for the sake of this conversation um that dual place of a of a fantasy carrying what do i need to let go of what am i grieving what am i trying to escape from that moving into responsibility and adulthood okay so that that points to the sacrifice. If I'm going to fully step into this next stage, I have to be willing to grieve and sacrifice the current stage, right? as well as the other side of the fantasy, which is the longing for more joy, freedom, aliveness, whatever it is. Um, and so imagining that you could build that fire, sometimes actually building the fire, but if it's in your mind's eye, seeing what does this fire look like? Who's dancing around the fire? How big is it? Who's there? And then most importantly, what do we need to toss into the fire so that I can step more fully into this life that I'm choosing and living in? Right? What is the sacrifice that needs to go in to the fire? What are the fantasies mm. that need to go into the fire? Mm. And so we toss those in, you know, like the magical single life fantasy, the perfect partner fantasy, the living out my calling fantasy, the life of no responsibilities fantasy, that sort of hanging on to childhood fantasy, right? 
And then we ask, where do I feel wild and free? And so sex and touch might be one of them, but also things like playing in the snow, right? Dancing, singing, sports, celebrations, right? When you're thinking about that, that celebratory, joyful, uninhibited, ecstatic energy. Where do we find those in regular life? It's much harder now because of where we are with COVID, but in typical life, in non-COVID life, right? How do we connect to those places? And I think it's really important to start to think of it in terms of what needs to be sacrificed and then what, what needs to be grown when the fantasies come in. And it's so interesting because I have been finding that the more I do take responsibility, the more able I am to tap in to feeling more joy and more freedom. <laughs> yes. It's, it's something so that is hard to believe, <laughs> mm. Mm. but I have yes. been finding that to be true. Yes. Mm. And just like the way that when you can let go of the fantasy or at least like the power it has over you, because I think there's beauty in like dreams and imagination, but that like sticky, like this fantasy is making me not appreciate my real life thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like letting go of that without demonizing it or calling yourself bad for having it. Mm -hmm. I think then you can, you're not just slipping out of the cloak to disappear into the night. You're stepping into your real life to appreciate what it is, the beauty of everything that you have even on the most tangible, concrete levels of yes. enjoying this food or this painting or this love, yes, this safety. Yes. Yes. When we get caught up in the fantasy and we take it at face value and we let it have a life of its own without relating to it, it is a distraction, right? It does its job. We have then escaped not literally, but in our minds, we are no longer present for this life. Hmm. I'm thinking about how when we're going through really hard times, it's so understandable to want to escape. Oh my goodness. And even necessary sometimes. Like you can't be mindful every second of every day. Mm-mm. It has such a positive function as long mm. as it is worked with, as long as we don't misinterpret. Yes. Right. As always. It's it's the interpretation where we get all messed up. But it's kind of like the kid who's totally bored in school staring out the window daydreaming. Well, that's a great function. That's a great thing our brains can do is to just daydream and sometimes like think up a whole short story staring out the window while the mm -hmm. teacher is droning on and on about the war of 1812 or whatever, right? And so it's it's a similar place. It's the place of, of daydreaming that can serve us as long as we relate to it 
in a healthy way. Mm. I have a poem that I wrote in the early days of COVID in the spring when I was living alone and we were under lockdown in New Jersey. Like we had a curfew. Mm. We weren't supposed to be driving. And I was obsessed with going on Zillow and looking at apartments. And like I was obsessed with this little cottage I found that was on some farmland about 20 minutes from where I live. And I just wanted to move there. And I found myself thinking about my teenage years. And I wrote this poem one night. And I think you can hear me in the poem realize that it's it's not really about the fantasy. It's about COVID. <laughs> and it's yes. about growing up, too. Mm. And it's about wrestling with those things. Mm. Yes. So this was originally called Escape Hatch, and then I changed the name to Getaway. And mm. it's it's somewhere in my Instagram So if you see one titled Getaway, that's this one. You never did kiss me. Not in the hallway, not against the back of the house, but I could feel it idling like an engine beneath our feet. You drove me home and click. I'm sure the seatbelt sliding against my neck felt like something special. I'm sure I thought every star that night was winking at me. I don't remember the color of your shirt or the song playing on the radio because all I cared about was how I made you feel and how that made me feel. Let's go for a drive. Shake this quarantine and make me 19 again. These past few years, I've been losing something and now the whole world is losing sleep all untouched and breathless, so let's gun it in the dark uphill until we slide backwards and this time you kiss me so I can sleep again, maybe for a hundred years, so I can dream again that everything won't end or that it will end happily. I think that encapsulates everything we've mm. discussed for this past hour so mm. beautifully. Thank you, Cheryl. This is such a juicy topic. <laughs> if people want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? I'm on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety, and my website is conscious-transitions.com. And you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you're enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it and leave a review, and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. 